Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible. And I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good day, Bible truth learners. I thank you for tuning in today, and I hope this day finds you well, because we are living in some trying times. And so my prayer for each and every one of you is to stay safe and stay well and continue to prosper because that is God's will for his children, for us to be safe, prosper, and stay in good health. Amen. Now, we are embarking on a new episode. We are going to cover the first letter of John the second and third letter of John. Now, the first letter of John was written to a congregation, which we can refer to as an epistle. There is a slight difference between an epistle and a letter. Now, an epistle can be written for a broad audience, meaning it can be read to everyone, okay? Letters are typically personal. So second and third John are personal letters that the apostle John wrote to specific individuals. How we got hold of them and how they were put in the Bible, I don't know. But I praise God and thank God for them because we can also follow those teachings. Now, before we go any further, I need to make two corrections from last week's episode entitled The Epistle James Wrote to the Jerusalem Church, which he was the overseer. Now, for those of you who may or may not have caught it, I am getting ready to share it with you. I told you guys, I do not have a problem making corrections. Okay. Now, when I mention uh, I think we were talking about a waver in faith when John was talking to uh, the rich about having a waver in faith and, and, and those who have a waver in faith shouldn't expect anything from God. I talked about and said the word vacillating. Vacillating is not a word. I meant to say vacillating. Vacillating is associated with uh, a wavering faith or differences between opinions. Now, when I typically speak, I speak to everyone, no matter the age, no matter the education. I want everyone to understand the message. Now, I can hang with the big dogs. I have a doctorate, master's, and <laughs> bachelor's. I can hang with the big dogs. But that means nothing if I am sharing a message to a certain group of people and they don't understand it. Leaders, 
in the body of Christ, pastors or teachers, it doesn't matter, or bishops, should never speak in such a way you have to run and get a dictionary. So sometimes certain words will come out and a person may or may not understand what I'm saying. So when I realized during my teachings that this word came out and most people won't understand it, typically I will follow it with an explanation or the definition. Now, in this case, I was talking so fast, I said vacillating. Okay. <laughs> Boy, I tell you. Uh, no, I said vacillating, but I meant to say vacillating. See, I almost made another error, but I typically talk fast. Okay. And so I promised myself that I will slow down this time. I will take my time and slow down so that everyone can understand what I am saying. I want to use common words, simple words, so that you can play one of my episodes to your children. If they are at an age where they can speak English and, <laughs> and, and, and they have understanding, I can tell you this, God will work with them. So um, the second correction I want to make is when I was talking about um, the prayer of, of, of petition. Okay. I made a huge mistake. So I really want to clear this up. Now we were talking about when to use, if it be that, that will, we do not use the prayer of petition. I'm not sure why I said that. Um, it, it is an indication to me that I need to take a break after today's episode. I will be on a uh, hiatus for about three weeks. Okay. I never stopped studying though, because I, I am, in, I am involved in a lot of things. But the prayer of petition is when you make it known to God what exactly you want. Now, as it relates to healing, you can associate the prayer of petition with healing because it is God's will for you to be healed. It is the prayer of faith that heals the sick and the Lord will raise him up, not put him six feet under, the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, they will be forgiven. I made a mistake and said, when we were talking about when to use, if it be God's will or if it be thy will, I associated that with the prayer of petition. That is wrong. Let me make that clear. That is absolutely incorrect. What I meant to say is, when we use, if it be thy will, that is the prayer of consecration and dedication. This is when we have no clue uh, what God's will is. We already know it's God's will for you to be healed because the prayer of faith heals the sick. So you never use the prayer of consecration and dedication when we talk about healing. Okay. Now, if you are planning to travel, or if you are planning to do something that is not written in God's will, meaning his word, his holy Bible, then we say, if it be God's will, I will be there. Okay. Or if it, if it be God's will, I will uh, dedicate or what I would do is 
is do this or do that because I have no clue whether or not it's God's will. Okay. So I wanted to make that clear. We do not use a prayer of petition when we have no clue what God wants. That's when we say, if it be your will, um, the prayer of faith heals the sick. Okay. God's will is clear on that. We don't have a waiver in faith with that. Or what did I tell you before? And I've said this more than once. If we use, if it be thy will, as it relates to healing, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. And that includes healing. The apostle John, not John, Jesus, the uh, apostle James, you see, let me slow down. Uh, the apostle James, Jesus's brother made that very clear. It is the prayer of faith. That heals the sick. Okay. Now with that said. The first epistle. Of John. I will be using the NIV. The new international version. To read this. And here at learning Bible truth. For those of you who are tuning in. For the first time. We tour full paragraphs. We tour full books. We tour full chapters. Okay. We don't just read a verse and then I go off on a rant and we end up in another stratosphere that has nothing to do with the scripture that we just read. We tour full chapters so that you can get a full understanding who the writer is, who he is talking to and why he is talking. Now, first John was written back in AD 90. Let's say between 80 and 90. AD 80 and 90, which is what my studies confirm. Written between AD 80 and AD 90. Now John was writing to a congregation that he was associated with. And for the record, because we have read and, and taught on so many epistles from the Apostle Paul, I may make a mistake and say Paul, but please note that I am talking about the Apostle John, okay? And for those of you who don't know, I mean, I don't mind sharing this. The Apostle John, is uh, his nickname was the Son of Thunder. You know, he was the son of Zebedee. And he was also known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. His mother is Salami, who was Zebedee's wife. Now, John was at the, the foot of the cross when Jesus was, was being crucified. Jesus told John, if y'all can remember, take care of his mother. Take care of my mother, John, his mother, Mary. Okay. Now, John also had a brother named James, not the James that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus's brother, Mary's one of Mary's other sons. No, James, we have we if you notice that the Bible have a lot of people with the same names. OK, so we have to be careful not to mix them up. Now, his family had a fishing business. They were well to do. John comes from a family with money. They had a, a lot of political connections as well. But you have to remember, John was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he walked worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was the overseer of several churches. Okay. 
So with that said, I don't know if I mentioned it or not. We are reading from the NIV. That's what I'm reading from. If there are a differences in words, it doesn't matter. We will end up in the same place. Now we are in chapter one of first John. John has five chapters. Hopefully we will be able to cover all of them today. Um, beginning at verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life. That was verse one. John is saying that which from the beginning, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who was in the beginning before this world was created. He was in the beginning with God. He is the son of God. Okay. You got to remember in the book of Genesis, when uh, Moses wrote the book of Genesis, by the way, and we will eventually get there. When it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. And you have to remember when they got to the verse that says, let us make man in our image. And God said us, who, who do you think he was talking to? Because he wasn't talking to Moses. <laughs> Moses received this revelation and shared it through his writings as God spoke to him. But it wasn't God speaking to Moses. It was Jesus in the beginning. And if you read the book, uh, the gospel according to John, who is also the writer of first, second and third John, he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That word is Jesus. And the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, depending on which version you have or tabernacled among among us. That is what John is talking about here. You see the patterns of his writing. The gospel according to John is similar to this, this writing. Verse two, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us, which was with the father in the beginning. Jesus, John is saying, we saw it. We saw him in the flesh. We were able to touch him. We saw it with our own eyes. Okay, verse three. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. We heard Jesus talking. We knew he was God. We saw him. We touched him. We saw his works. We heard him speak. We knew who he was or we know who he was. Okay, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this verse four. We write this to make our joy complete. Verse five. This is the message we have heard from him, him who Jesus and declare to you. God is light. Oh, pay attention to this, folks. In him. There is no darkness at all. Verse six. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son 
purifies us or either cleanses us from all sin or either all unrighteousness because all unrighteousness is sin. If you look at someone with a dirty look, you are sinning. Okay. But Jesus purifies us from all sin. Now, what is John talking about when he says that God is light and in him, there is no darkness. He is not talking about skin color. Okay. Now, some of you may think that is comical, but some of these false teachers out here who doesn't have a clue what these scriptures mean and they are racist and prejudiced. Do you know that they read to a bunch of ignorant people who don't have a clue about the Bible and use this verse? And I'm telling you, it's out there. Uh, well, see, God is light. He like light skin. And, and, and in him, there's no darkness. There's no dark skin. Now, I know that sounds stupid to you because you know the truth, but it's out there. Okay, what he is talking about is the light, the knowledge of who God is. That is what he is talking about. Darkness is is walking in ignorance of who God is. Darkness is also associated with sinning. Okay, light is associated with with walking in God's righteousness. Okay, there is no unrighteousness in God and there is no ignorance of the knowledge of God in light. I just want to make that clear. Make sure you have your pen and, and your, your, or your pencil, whatever you choose to write with and paper and take notes. Okay. Uh, verse eight, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, praise God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those who are in Christ, who believe on the son of God can be purified from all sin. If you confess your sin to God. Now there is a difference between confessing your sin uh, just before salvation or after salvation, but you don't have to confess your sin to be saved because we are clear in Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10. It says, if we confess our sin, confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. It doesn't mention anything about sin after salvation. You start to, to learn the will of God which is his word and then allow his word to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he, when John says, if you say you have no sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Everybody have sinned and fallen short of the, of the, of the glory of God. Now, who is John talking to? He's talking to two different people. Now you may have heard differently. I'm following the word and I'm following the Holy spirit. He's talking to two different people. John has an audience of believers or those who has accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And he has an audience audience of those who say they believe and then say that they don't sin. Oh, I, I don't sin. I don't need to confess my sins. John, what John is doing here is explaining to them. Let's do eight again. If we claim to be without sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us 
from all unrighteousness. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, him who? Jesus out of a liar and his word is not in us. So those of you who are walking around like y'all are holier than thou and not confessing y'all sins, you have deceived yourselves and the truth is not in you. Chapter two, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's who Jesus is. And not only for ours, not only for our sins, also for the sins of the whole world. Now, what is John talking about? What John is saying is, look, I write this to you so that you will not sin. He is talking about willful sinning. If you know something to be wrong, you shouldn't do it. But if you do do it, you're doing it willfully. And then he says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ. He's talking about unintentional sin. Because everything that is unrighteous is sin. Here's the key. We don't know about everything that's unrighteous. Some things we do, we think is okay, but it's unrighteous. That means it's sin. We are protected. But if you know you have sinned, you know you have stumbled, and you find out you have sinned, honey, we have an advocate with the Father. We can go to the Lord Jesus Christ, confess our sins to one another, and our sins are forgiven because Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, all of our sins. And when it say not just for ours, but for the sins of the whole world, meaning that anybody, and I've said this before, who is willing to come to God through his son, Jesus Christ, your sons will, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, not sons, your sins will automatically be forgiven. Okay. Sins of the whole world. The ground is leveled sisters and brothers where anyone can come to Christ and be saved and have their sins forgiven. Now, let me tell you a little secret. Do you know that an unsaved person can have their sins forgiven on earth? They just don't have an atoning sacrifice. An, an unsaved person, meaning someone outside of Christ can say, Oh God, forgive me for doing that. I, I, I said this to this, this young lady or this, this young man, I didn't mean to say it. Um, I made a mistake and, and not a mistake, but I chose to steal from this person's or this individual's purse. Uh, forgive me. Do you know that they will be forgiven? However, they're not saved. See, cause Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Now your sins being forgiven doesn't mean you are saved and it, and it doesn't make you no more saved than an atheist walking past a church on revival night. Okay. So having your sins forgiven is just not enough. You need the atoning sacrifice, which is the Lord Jesus Christ blood. Okay. Now verse three of chapter two, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So John is getting ready to explain the difference between uh, an unbeliever and a believer. Okay. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't, but, um, does not do what he commands is a liar. Okay. We have these people running around in the church and the truth is not in that person. That's why I chose the NIV. 
Very clear. Very simple. Verse five. But but if anyone obeys his word, the word of Jesus, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Verse six. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, why is this not taught in the church? They will pull out some of these scriptures, such as the one I read about if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, but then they don't read the rest of the scriptures. See, I'm talking about the kind artist, because if you make a person feel good about sinning, for number one, you are a false teacher. And number two, that person will throw as much money at you at you as they possibly can. And as much money as you, I mean, at you that they have, because you are supporting their sinful lifestyles. You are supporting them walking in darkness. That's why we read whole chapters. Mm. Verse five again, but if anyone obeys his word, Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Verse six, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Verse seven, dear friends, I am not writing, writing you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Verse eight, yet I am writing you a new command. It's true. Uh, it's truth is seen in him and in you. In him is Jesus because the darkness is passing. Yes, this earth is definitely passing away. This earth is full of darkness. OK, the darkness that that has taken over this earth is passing away. Ah, and the true light is already shining. The true light, the true knowledge. Ah. The true life, the life that is sinless, has already started shining on this planet. Okay, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Okay, mm. why aren't these scriptures being read in the church? Hmm? Verse 9 again. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister. This is your brother or sister in Christ and your biological family. If they are Christians, if they are believers, if they are sons of God through the adoption agency of the Lord Jesus Christ. The latter part of nine is still in the darkness. Verse 10, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Verse 11, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Now, verse 12, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Whose name? Jesus's name. Hallelujah. You should be running around tearing up the house by now. Hallelujah. Because if it wasn't for Jesus and the sacrifice he made on that cross, honey, we all will be going to hell in a handbasket with the world. But because of Jesus and the works he did on the cross and that we chose to believe it, 
we are saved from the wrath that is due to come because God's wrath is coming, but we are permanently and eternally saved from that wrath. We won't be here when that wrath comes. Okay. That alone should have you running outside, you know, doing cartwheels across the interstate. No, <laughs> no, don't do that. But I'm talking about happiness and doing foolish things at, out of joy. Okay. Out of joy. Verse 13. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Oh yes. Jesus. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. The evil one is the devil. Verse 14, I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 15, do not love the world. Didn't we hear that before? When Paul wrote uh, to the Ephesians and, and the uh Philippian church, Ephesians and Philippian church. And I'm, and if, if I'm not mistaken, Galatians two, verse 15, again, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the father is not in them. Ah, do you hear that? And so that you won't misunderstand the things that are in the world that we should not be loving. John makes it clear. Verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father. The father is God. OK. But from the world. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away. Eventually it's going to pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Hallelujah. Praise God. Verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. Talking about we are living in the last days. Oh, yes. And this was over 2,000 years ago. So, you know, time is near. Uh, and as you have heard that the, anti the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Now, I want you guys to really get your pencil or your pen and paper right now if you haven't already. Because we are getting ready to crack down on false teachers. False teachers at its worst. Okay. This is how we know it is the last hour. Verse 19. They went out from us. Meaning they were once a part of the body of Christ. Mm. But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us. They would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. Verse 21. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth. But because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Did you hear that? You cannot even make the truth out of a lie. Verse 22. Who is the liar? Here we go. It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father, whoever has the Father, 
and whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. So verse 23 is very important. It says no one who denies the son has the father. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, God is not in you. This is clear. It's been written over 2000 years ago. So don't come to me with a writing somebody wrote in 1960. Okay. In 1960. If you do not have Jesus Christ and the works that he did on that cross, the father who is God is not in you and you don't know him. Okay. The latter part of 23 again, whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. We had false teachers back there telling the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that for number one, they didn't believe that God himself was reincarnated as a human being in the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. So they just, they, they just didn't believe it. Even though Jesus Christ himself said he was the son of God. I did a teaching on that. We have some false teachers today will tell you, well, Jesus never said he was the son of God. The apostles did. Yes, Jesus did. And if you want to know about that whole story, it makes no sense for me to give you a scripture. You go and, and, and listen to that whole podcast I wrote about who did Jesus say he was? Who did Jesus say he was? Go listen to that episode. Okay, so verse 23 is very clear. No one who denies the son has the father. Whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. If you acknowledge Jesus, you have God. You acknowledge, you acknowledge God. Okay, verse 24. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. The apostles never wavered when it, when it came to Jesus. And that is supposed to exist today. The church who claims to be the, the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and associated with the body of Christ should be on one accord, especially when it comes to salvation, who Jesus is and eternal life. There are churches out there today that uh, claim to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but would tell you that Jesus didn't come in the flesh or oh, yes, we believe he was the Messiah. Excuse me. I want y'all to pay close attention to this because this false doctrine is out there. We believe that he was the Messiah. We believe that he died for us on the cross. We believe that he was buried, but we don't believe that he resurrected. Well, the re well salvation is in the resurrection. So let me tell you, the devil is cunning. And I'm telling you, the Bible is clear. Jesus said he will deceive even the elect if possible. And you know how he can deceive you? If you stray away from this word. If someone shares something with you that sounds convincing because it makes sense to your natural mind. You got to remember God is spirit. We have to understand this in a spiritual aspect, who Jesus is. If you're trying to understand with your natural mind, what they tell you will make sense. Stick to this word. Stick to what is written. I have family. I will, I refuse to allow them to be, de, uh, be deceived. My family will tell you, I will set my sister straight in a minute. I'll tell her, stick with this word. Don't you listen to that false teaching out there because in the end, it ain't worth it. You can't come back and get it right. You better believe on Jesus now before death catches up with you. 
and so that we won't fall behind. But guess what? I'm not going to stop until we finish. So uh, let's go to verse 25. And this is what he promised us eternal life. Let's read the uh, verse 24 again and then 25 again. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will you uh, you also will remain in the son, meaning Jesus and in the father, because if you are in the son, Jesus, you are in the father. OK, and he said you also will remain hmm, in the son and in the father. I would rather not get into that. That's another teaching. Verse 25. And this is what he promised us eternal life. Stick with Jesus. No religion out there offers you eternal life. Study it and read it. You'll find out eternal life is only found in Jesus. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. We are not saved in the name of God. We are saved in the name of Jesus. That's where, where salvation comes from. It comes from Jesus. Okay. Now that should be simple and that should be clear. That's in the book of Acts. Verse 26. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. All false teachers are more prevalent today than they were back in the biblical days. You hear me? Verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. That's that Holy Spirit, the seal that seals us until the day of redemption placed in your heart, which is a guarantee telling you you belong to God and you do not need anyone to teach you what he's saying. These false teachers, should, this is how he worded it, but this is what he's saying. These false teachers shouldn't be coming to you trying to lead you astray with false doctrine when you have the truth, which is the seal of the Holy Spirit in you, which confirms the truth. The fact that you have the seal is confirmation that you are saved and that the truth is in you. If you have some convictions popping up or an uncomfortable feeling coming up because somebody is telling you something different, that's the seal in you telling you, don't you listen to that? Don't you receive that? That's the truth. Ah, let, let, let's, let's read it again. Where were we? Verse, let's do 27 again. As for you, the atoning, I mean, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches, teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just, at, just as it has taught you remain in him, remain with the truth. Okay. Remain with the truth. People I'm telling you it's prevalent. If you, boy, if you, I know you don't have all the knowledge I do that. I know that's why it's my responsibility to share it with you. The Bible is clear. How can you hear without a preacher or a teacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? You have, you need, you, the problem is you have to be careful about who's sharing the information to you. What are they sharing with you? Compare it. Follow the scriptures. That's why I don't just read a, a, a passage of scripture and tell you, oh no, this is what God is talking about. No, we need to read the entire chapter because the word of God does not contradict itself and the apostles do not contradict one another. Okay. Okay. 
uh, where do we stop at? Okay, counterfeit just as it has taught you remain in him. Verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him, in Jesus, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Because if you have that seal, we, meaning we won't be unashamed because God is coming. And we stuck with the truth. And we will have no reason to, to not be able to look Jesus in the eye and said, I cannot believe I didn't believe this. I cannot believe the Lord Jesus Christ is actually here and I'm getting ready to go before him and be judged. Not for condemnation, but for your works. Because we are sealed until the day of redemption. There's some old uh, age old um, doctrine out there that tells you, well, it doesn't mean that the seal can't be broken. The seal can't be broken. Because Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Jesus is not a liar. The problem is man wants you to believe what man wants you to believe. They want you to believe them. Now, most people reject what they don't understand. A lot of people don't understand the process of salvation and God's redemption plan. Instead of them trying to embrace it and trying to allow or either let, letting the Holy Spirit teach them, what they do is reject it. And they go follow a doctrine that they can understand that makes sense to them. But how many of you already know the wisdom of God is foolishness to man? Isn't that in your Bible? The wisdom of God is foolishness to man. I'm sticking with Jesus and I'm telling you, you need to do the same. Mm, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, we are talking about people who are professing to be Christians now. We're not talking about just worldly people. We are talking about this is how you distinguish who is a Christian and who is not. Verse 29, John says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. That's one of the ways you can tell who is faking it and who is shaking it. Okay, we are embarking on chapter three. Verse one. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Oh, is that great love going through the adoption agency of Jesus Christ? God now considers us to be his children. We are not all his children. Only those who are in Christ are his children. OK, and that is what and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. No, he, him who they ain't no God. That's why. That's why they don't know us. They cannot relate to us loving someone who hates us. They cannot relate to us helping someone who talks about us. Or someone who retaliated against us and they know we know it. They can't relate to how we still love them. We love through action, by the way, not through feelings. If you are able to help someone who despitefully uses you, that's the love of God in you. See, the world don't understand that. But God does because God is love. Oh, and we are going and we are definitely getting ready to get into that. This is heavy, heavy. Uh, verse two, dear friends. Now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, meaning we will be given new bodies. 
Okay, just like the body the Lord Jesus Christ received when he resurrected. A body that will never age again. A body where sickness cannot reside. Diseases cannot reside. A body that cannot be scarred. Verse 2 again. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse three, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Verse four, everyone who sins breaks the law. Wait, let me read that again where um, we can understand it. Uh, verse three, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Verse four, everyone who sins breaks the law. Okay. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But if verse five, I'm sorry, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin in who Christ. There is no sin in Christ. And that's the reason he appeared now under the old covenant and the law, the Mosaic law, if you sinned, the blood of animals, which was a sacrifice made, you brought the animal once a year to the, to the priest. He goes to the altar, you know, kill the animal, blood, blood sacrifice, yada, yada. And it covered your sins for a year. Oh, but look at the blood of Jesus. Look at the blood of Jesus, verse five. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Take them away. Remove them. They're not covered. They are removed and thrown into the sea of forgetfulness where God will remember them no more. Hallelujah. And in him is no sin. In him who? Jesus. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Now, this is where people just don't want to hear it. It's not taught in the church, but you are going to hear it today for your benefit. And in him is no sin. Verse six, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning, meaning we don't practice sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. Knows who? Jesus. If you are continuing to practice sin with no conviction and you feel good about it, Christ is not in you. And see, that is what the church is not being told today. Oh, we don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. We need to walk on eggshells. We need to tone it down just a little bit. No, not me. That's one of the reasons God chose me. I was an outspoken sinner for the world. And now I am an advocate for the Lord Jesus Christ, which is holiness. Okay. Why isn't the church telling you this? And don't let no one try to dissect this passage and tell you or convince you that it means something else. That's why I tell you in study Bibles, you better be careful about those footnotes or those study notes because some of them are off track. They were not written by the apostles. They were written by men, regular men today who read these scriptures and then try to twist it and put their thoughts and their opinions in the footnotes. I've seen it. I read a scripture. And then looked at the footnotes and it was contrary to what the scripture said. And I said, if someone don't know better, they will believe these footnotes because that's what they want to believe. 
No, 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 no. Let's look at it again. Verse six. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Or if you have the um, ESV or the New King James, it says practices sinning. No one who continues to sin, either practice sinning, has either seen Jesus or know him. Verse seven, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray, meaning do not be deceived. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who Jesus verse eight, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Now, this in your Bible. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In the NIV, it says the devil's work. But in your Bible, it may say the works of the devil. Same thing. Verse nine, no one who is born of God will continue to sin, meaning practice sinning. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are. And who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does who does not love their brother and sister. You don't belong to God. But yet I'm telling you one of my brothers and sisters in Christ who is a bishop. I listen to him twist these scriptures. And I listen to him get salvation on the nose who Jesus is on the nose. And I had to question whether or not, because I believe this word, I don't care who I see in person, whether or not he is a true minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Bible is clear who he, who says that Jesus came in the flesh is of God. He who loves his sister or brother is of God. And he look, he, he, he tells you Jesus came in the flesh. He tells you Jesus is the son of God. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to him. God did. So what's the issue? I figured it out. He's not walking in his calling. He's an evangelist. He's not a teacher. He's not a teacher because I've also heard him teach from these same scriptures that I am teaching from. And I heard him say, look, if you continue to sin, you are still saved. That's not what the Bible says. So he needs to stay away from these scriptures and stick to Galatians. The epistle that Paul wrote to a plethora of churches in Galatia. When you walk outside of your calling, you fall. If you fall, the people who are listening to you and who are trusting what you are saying, they fall with you. James says not all of us should be teachers. If you are a pastor, you should be a teacher. Not every teacher is a pastor. If they don't want to be a pastor, they can just teach. My ultimate goal is to pastor a church. But I'm a teacher. I'm also an evangelist. Teachers are also known as doctors. That's why I'm called Dr. Kamala D. But I'm here to tell you, we have to be careful. We cannot encourage people to sin. Our job as leaders, ministers, or teachers or preachers of this word, we must encourage people to walk worthy of Jesus, meaning walking like him. We shouldn't be encouraging them to sin and then say, oh, you saved anyway. That's not true. It's clear. Verse 10, this in your Bible. 
This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. This is someone who is practicing it with no conviction, feel good about hurting people. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. You don't belong to God. You carrying hate within you. You don't belong to God. God, the spirit of God cannot reside next to hate in your heart. It either, it has to have one or the other planted there. Verse 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning. We shall love one another. Verse 12, do not be like Cain who belonged to Eve to the evil one and murdered his brother. We all know the story of Cain and Abel. That was the first murder committed on the earth. Cain killed his brother Abel out of jealousy. And why did he murder him? Why did, he, why did Cain murder his brother? Because his own actions, whose actions? Cain's actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Verse 13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters. If the, if the world hates you, okay, because you walking in righteousness, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. That means spiritual death to eternal life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. You are spiritually dead walking in hate. Verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Didn't I just tell you that? If you are walking around harboring hate in your heart for anyone, the love of God is not residing in you because God cannot reside next to hate. You can't have both sitting there. You are either a hater or a lover. It is as simple as that. Now, I don't know about you, but I can forgive anyone. You need to forgive a person that you are harboring uh, animosity toward for over the years and allow God's word to cleanse you. Okay, because God is not going to come in and reside where there's hate. That's why God searches the heart before he sits there. He knows you. He knows who you are. He knows what you are capable of. And if you are harboring hate, God is not in you. These scriptures are clear. Okay, uh, the, uh, let's read 15 again. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, we do know that John is talking about Cain, who killed his brother Abel out of jealousy. You're a murderer too. If you hate your sister or brother in Christ, and he's not talking about your biological sisters and brothers. If your biological sisters and brothers, this is a little nugget, have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, they are not your sisters and brothers. Now, that may become a, a, a shock to some of you. You may not understand it, but I'm telling you, your true sisters and brothers are those who are in Christ with you. I thank God that one of my sisters are saved. I do. And I'm working on the other. OK, being careful not to judge, just sharing the word with them through scripture. Every day I send a scripture. Before I, I, I really pull out the hammer and say, okay, here's Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Are you ready? Let's do this. Not ready yet. No, not ready yet. And this is not about them. Um, where were we? Okay, let's verse 16, because we read 15 twice. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Oh, yes, that's the ultimate love. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's how much we are supposed to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would be willing to lay down our lives also. It is not required, but John is trying to explain to you the real definition of love. You love someone enough to jump in front of them and catch a bullet. You love someone enough not to hate them and harbor jealousy in your heart because they did something that was accepted and yours wasn't. Okay? I, follow it. Look, I, I, I can allow silence for reflection because I know that this is hard for some of you to hear. And reason being is because the church or denomination you are attending is not telling you these things. They're not. I've been there. Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? You see someone who is in need that is in the body of Christ. And I've already taught when we went through the book of Acts that every collection that was taken up was taken up for the needy in the body of Christ. That's it. It was not taken up for anything else. And and to give the apostles who were traveling all over, it was to assist them, to provide assistance for them as they traveled and, and preached the gospel. Not for you to go on tour buses and travel to uh, and have fun. That money is for the needy sisters and brothers. Now, here, 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 here go the Apostle John again. Anyone who has this world's possessions, it, depending on which version you have, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Remember I said love is an action. It is not a feeling. If I do something for someone who is in need, I am showing love toward that person. It is not a feeling. You know what James said? How can you pray for your brother or sister to be warm who need a coat and you don't give him a coat to warm him? How can you do that? John says in 1 John that the love of God can't be in you. Verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And we talked about this not long ago, that God knows what's in your heart. If your hearts condemn you, it's because God is, is, is bringing to your, uh, to, 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 to your acknowledgement that what you are doing is wrong. Okay, he is greater than your heart and he knows everything. Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Verse 22, and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. It pleases God for you to help your sisters and brothers in Christ who are in need and not talk about them and always talking. Well, she stay needy. Why she ain't being blessed like me? That's not what this is talking about. It's, you need to help him if you can. Verse 23. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Verse 24. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him. And he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. What spirit? 
the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. That's how we know. Uh, chapter four. Yes. Chapter four. Okay, saints. Now, before we, we go to chapter four, the Holy Spirit just, it spoke to me and, and, and want me to do more clarification. Go back uh, to some scriptures we just read. I don't want you to be confused and neither does the Holy Spirit. So I want you to go back to verses 19 through 24 in chapter three. We just went over these scriptures and I think um, the way I communicated them, you may be confused or may have misunderstood. The Holy Spirit brought it to my attention. So I want to make sure it's clear. So go back to chapters 19 through 24 in chapter three. Okay. Before we move forward into chapter four, verse 19 says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Verse 20, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now what this is talking about, the, a lot of Christians are, are always condemning themselves. And as a result, they are discouraged and, you know, they are self-condemning. Now, they can receive assurance from God that they are still his child. That is what verses 19 and 20 are talking about. You can receive assurance that you are still God's child. And I want you to relate this to your own children. If your child does something that may not be pleasing to you or may be displeasing to you. You don't really condemn that child. You just talk to them and you nurture them. That's how God treats us. Okay. Now, verse 21, dear friends, if our heart do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, verse 22, and receive from him anything we ask. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, what is verse 21 talking about? Now, verse 21 is also assurance of our standing before God. It gives us boldness in prayer. Okay. It doesn't hinder our prayers because when we self con uh, condemn, it hinders prayer. You can't, <laughs> when you go to God in prayer, you have to be, uh, remember that without faith, it is impossible to please God and he that goes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. Okay. So when we self condemn, it tampers with our faith. Okay. It hinders our faith. We have to, we have to have all faith when we go to God in prayer. So we have to also remember that if we do not condemn ourselves, we can be bold in prayer. So that is what chapter uh, 21 is talking about. Uh, what did we do? That was 21. Now let's read chapter uh, 22. And receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Verse 23. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And to love one another as he commanded us. Verse 24. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him. Now what did John say the commandment of God is? 
believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. Those are the two most important commands in the New Testament. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a suggestion. And to love one another, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. That's a law. Okay. This is something that we must do. Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands. What? Believe on his, on the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, and love one another. We have to keep that. Lives in him, him who God. And he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And something is tugging on my heart again about this self-condemnation thing. I want to encourage you, sisters and brothers. Romans chapter eight, verse one says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. If the version, uh, if uh, you have a version of the Bible that says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, that is incorrect. The original Greek text stops at there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Man added who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's incorrect. We have to stop tampering with God's word. Okay. I know the original Greek. It's not there. So those of you who are condemning yourselves because you may fall here and there, I'm here to tell you that God is not condemning you. That's the devil. He wants to instill self-condemnation in you so that it can hamper and tamper with your faith. Because those who have a wavering faith, that man shouldn't expect anything from God. God's system is set up where he moves through our faith. And I want you to remember that. So when you are self-condemning, just know that is the devil. And this is what I need you to say. Devil, you are a liar. I am a child of God. I am saved by grace and Jesus Christ said, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. You hear me? Never. So you should be reassured by that, my sisters and brothers. Now let's move on over into chapter four. Verse one, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Here we go. This is about teaching again, false teachings. Uh, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse two, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges, understand that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse three, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Now, let me make this clear. They had false teachers back then, like they have today, uh, telling us the same thing. That Jesus Christ, the son of God, never came in the flesh because they don't believe that God can be reincarnated into a human being. Okay. And they are teaching that false doctrine. They are telling you that, okay, yeah, Jesus Christ is the son of God, but he never came here. Now, this new movement called the black Hebrew, Hebrew Israelites is teaching this doctrine that Jesus Christ never came in the flesh. 
and that they they teach that you can believe in Jesus, but you need to follow the laws of Mo Moses. This is a perversion of the gospel. OK, stick with the word and you cannot be deceived. Now, here's John, as well as the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, I mean, James and Peter will tell you. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. You must confess that he is Lord. And this is in Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10. This is how you are saved that I confess that Jesus confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. That's it. That's it. Then you start to learn the will of God for your life. But there are false teachers out here that's telling you that Jesus Christ himself never came in the flesh. Then there are some within that same movement. The black Hebrew Israelites will tell you Jesus Christ never came at all. That ain't what this Bible says. And then it, when you mention the, the New Testament, know what they'll tell you. We don't read the New Testament. Well, that's why you're ignorant. The New Testament is the blood bought covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you won't know what the covenant is if you don't read the New Testament. Now, this is in your Bible, been here for over 2000 years. So someone who's coming to you in 2020 trying to tell you that Jesus Christ never came in the flesh. You know what you tell him? Yes, he did. It is written that he did. Because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, the Apostle John says you are the Antichrist. OK. Mm hmm. Thank God for his truth. Thank God for his truth. Verse three again, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Verse four, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, which is the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in this world. Verse five, they are from the world. And therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, speaking from their natural minds, not a spiritual aspect. They are speaking from their natural minds. Okay. And the world listens to them. Verse six, we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth. And the spirit of falsehood. This is in your Bible. You can't ignore the New Testament because that's where the spirit of truth is. The Holy Spirit was not available to every man in the Old Testament. It spoke through the prophets, God's chosen prophets, but it was not available to the common people like it is today. The spirit of truth reveals to you who Jesus is. So if that spirit of truth is not in your heart, the chances are you don't know who Jesus is and you will believe these worldly people who are teaching you this worldly doctrine, trying to get you away from Jesus. So you won't be saved. Satan is trying to take as many people as, as he can get with him to hell when his time comes, because it's going to come a time. That's another teaching, but it fits right here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There's going to come a time where the devil won't be running loose on earth anymore. He's going to be locked up for a thousand years. Ah, I promise you we will teach on that. Okay. That's in the book of revelation to end times. Verse seven, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, right here, 
He is not talking about the worldly people who, who claim to love their family and all that. That's not the type of love he's talking about. He's talking about everyone who is continually and consistently loving their sisters and brothers in Christ. That is who he's talking about. Verse eight, whoever does not love, the, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him, him who Jesus, verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ put on human flesh, was born of a virgin, a virgin, I'm sorry. The reason he had to be born of a virgin is so that he would not inherit that sinful nature that all of us are born with. He wouldn't have been able to save us. He would not have been able to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So you had to be clean. You had to be clean. He had 100% flesh as a man, but in him was 100% deity. And that is what false teachings and this new doctrine out there is telling you, Jesus Christ never came in the flesh. Well, you're the antichrist. Yes, he did. Don't you let no one de deceive you or deter you from these doctrines. Okay. From these teachings of the apostles stick with the teachings of the apostles. Okay. I don't care how much you love that person in the pulpit. If he's telling you something contrary to what is written by the apostles, don't you believe him stick with the scriptures. Cause you ain't going to be able to grab onto them. Oh, pastor Washington, you told me, no, God said you heard the truth. You chose to follow pastor Washington. He wasn't God. You saw the word you saw and heard what he said was contrary. You chose to follow him. Follow the word. I don't care what I promised God when I accepted his call into the ministry that I will not stray away from these scriptures. I'm not doing it. I don't care what I see. I don't care what I've heard. I walk by faith, not by sight. I'm sticking with the word and I am encouraging you to do the same. Where were we? Uh, verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. Meaning, now look, here's where some false teachers will tell you, you see, Jesus wasn't God. No, Jesus was 100% God in, in spirit. We never saw his spirit. We saw his flesh. We saw his flesh. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. He lives in us through Jesus, this, through the spirit of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. If the spirit of God is not in you, chances are you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. You know when the Holy Spirit in you, because when you try, when your flesh is trying to to get you to do wrong after being tempted by the devil and your flesh uh, is is uh, is seeking after its own desires and there is no conviction. Spirit of God ain't in you. Because the conviction will be so, so strong, pulling you back, saying, ah, don't you do that. You ain't gonna do it. You ain't gonna do it. But if you happen to fall, we still have an advocate with the father. You will feel, you will be remorseful. Good. You need to be remorseful. If you do something wrong, you can condemn yourself. But if you are remorseful, God is not condemning you because his spirit is in you. 
Oh, thank you for that, Holy Spirit. Verse 13 again. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world. Outside of Christ, there is no way you can be saved. I don't care what someone tells you. Outside of Christ and his atoning sacrifice, it is impossible for you to be saved. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. These are people proclaiming to be saved. He's telling you, see, John is telling you how not to be confused. He's saying that if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in that person because flesh and blood, like when Jesus asked Peter, well, do, who do you say I am? He said, you are the son of God. Oh, yes. You are the living son of God. And Jesus said that flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. God did. Now, God can reveal stuff to unsaved people. It's up to you to choose whether or not you are going to accept Christ or, or reject him. And if you reject him, there is no hope. There is no hope. And we're going to get to the, get to that in chapter five. On um, verse 15, again, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Um, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. This ain't talking about people who are not saved. These are talking about people who are claiming to be saved. And John is saying this is how we can confirm that you really received the love of God or received Jesus in your heart. Without love in your heart, you never received Christ. Okay. Remember John said it came out from among, from among us because they were never of us. Meaning they were never saved. Okay. Because you can't be saved and lost. Let's make that clear. But you were never saved. You never accepted Christ. That's why you left. Verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Yes. See, on that day of judgment, there are two sets of judgment. I have to share that here. The great white throne judgment. Christians are not going before the great white throne judgment. Christians are going before the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment is for non-believers, people who never accepted Christ. They will be told why they are going into the lake of fire. Mm -hmm. That's the second death, by the way. Hell and the lake of fire are two different things. It's another teaching, but it fits here. They are going to be told why they are going to the lake of fire for eternity. And it's too late. You can beg and cry and ask for, oh, Lord, I believe you now. God said, no, we, you were told. You were told about my son and that he died for you for the forgiveness of your sins. He was the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And you chose to reject him. You can't accept him now. It's too late. It's too late. Look, I, I don't sugarcoat or walk on eggshells because you need to know that your actions have some consequences. You need to know that the rejection uh, of Christ has consequences and you need to be told that, but you're not being told in the church today. Uh, my Lord, my Lord, where were we? Um, let's do 17 again. This is how love is made complete 
among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are like Jesus. Verse 18. I mean, the confidence that um, John is talking about is, look, Jesus is not going to have to scold you. Those of us who are going before the judgment seat of Christ is going before uh, to have our works judged. Were we sincere in our works? And we will receive rewards. Some won't receive rewards, but some will. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Mm -mm. We don't go before Christ in fear. Okay. Because we know we truly accepted him. But perfect fear, I mean, but perfect love drives out fear. That's right. Perfect love. If we have that perfect love, which is the seal of the Holy Spirit residing in our hearts, there's no reason for us to have fear. Thank you, Holy Spirit, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You walking around in fear. And one of the things that I fear is that I have no fear. I don't fear man at all. I don't fear the things of this world at all. Um, I don't fear going before the judgment sheet, uh, uh, seat of Christ because I know who he is. I have accepted him and I fight hard for the gospel. And my motives are pure. I want man to hear the truth so man can be saved. People I don't even know. I just want you saved. I want you to experience what I experienced. I want you to experience the transformation I experienced. Okay. Hmm. Oh, that's deep. Oh, that's deep. The latter part of 18 again. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And Jesus is not a, associated with punishment. He's not a punisher. He's a rewarder. He's not a punisher. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Hallelujah. Verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Wow. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And this is so logical. And any, any, anyone who is trying to understand this with their natural mind can even understand this. They can comprehend this. How can you love God whom you have not seen and you don't even love your brother or sister who you have seen? John says you are a liar. You don't love God. You are a liar. Okay. Verse 21. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It says must, and it's a command. It's a commandment. It's not an option. It's a commandment. We are commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we are moving on over into chapter five. Interesting chapter, chapter five. Everyone who, this is verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Let's make that straight. And everyone who loves the father loves, loves his child as well. New King James ESV says loves the son as well. Okay. Uh, verse two. This is how we know that we love the children that we are or we love the children of God. Because uh, I read so many um, versions. Um, sometimes I get these wordings mixed up because it may be in your Bible. Okay. Um, verse, verse two, again, this is how we know that we love the children of God. 
by loving God and carrying out his commands. Verse three. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And we read what his two most important commandments on the world is in this world is in the new covenant, which is what we are under. We are not under the old covenant. We are under the new covenant that we believe on his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another and his commands are not burdensome. It's not hard to do if the spirit of God resi resides in you for everyone born of God overcomes the world and its ways. Okay. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Verse five, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. This is in your Bible. That is who overcomes the world. Those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. And that he came in the flesh. Verse six. This is the one who came by water and blood. Now, let me explain to you what water is here. They have some different doctrine out here, but the truth is water means word. This is the one who came by the word and blood. Now, if you can recall at the uh, well, Jacob's well, when Jesus uh, came across that Samaritan woman, he said to her that, um, you know, he talked about, and I'm paraphrasing here that, you know, if you believe in me, if you knew who was talking to you, you, you know, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And she said, well, give me some of this water. He's saying out of your belly shall flow, uh, the living word. He said, uh, rivers of living water, but he was talking about the living word. That's what water represents. It's symbolic to, to word, the word word. Okay. Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only but by water and blood. Hallelujah. And it is the spirit who testifies. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It testify, testifies to us who Jesus is because the spirit is truth. Verse seven, for there are three that testify. Verse eight, the spirit, the water and the blood. This is God, the father, uh, God, the son, which is the word of God and the Holy Spirit, the blood. And the three are in agreement. These three are in agreement. Verse nine, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which had, which he has given about his son. The Holy spirit is the spirit of truth who testifies who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. uh, most people don't understand who Jesus is because they don't have the Holy spirit to give them the truth. The seal, the Holy Spirit, that's the promise that Jesus promised that the father will send back to us, who is also known as a comforter, another comforter. You remember when Jesus told the apostles, I, you know, I have to go away because if I don't go, the comforter will not come. The comforter, because he knew how man struggled, even when he was with them. They were struggling. That was the flesh. He said, ain't no way in the world my people are going to be able to make it without another comforter. I have to send another one. It came in the form of the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse nine, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which had, which he has given about his son. Verse 10, whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. 
verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. That's who Jesus is. Eternal life. And this life is in his son. Verse 12. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. You don't have eternal life waiting on you if you're not in Christ. If you don't have the son, you notice he's saying have the son. All um, virgins I study, uh, th they are in agreement with have the son. Because having the son is having that Holy Spirit in your heart. Remember I told you God comes in three forms. It's like water. Water represents God. If you freeze water, it turns into ice. That's the son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's still water. If you boil water, it turns into, into steam and evaporate, but it's still water. God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. It does. The word Trinity doesn't have to be in the Bible for you to understand the triune. <laughs> okay. Of God, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. Okay. Now verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may now no, I'm sorry. So that you may know that you have eternal life. This should be the biggest encouragement that you received that you shall know, not think about or meditate on. No, you should know that you have eternal life. Verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, this is the prayer of petition. According to his will, he hears us, but according to God's will, See, you, you can't come to God and ask him for your next door neighbor's husband. Now, you can turn that around and say, you know, God, I, I, I would like to have a husband like my next door neighbor has. One who treats her like Christ treated the church. One who loves her like Christ loved the church. But you can't ask God for your next door neighbor's husband because that is out of his will. Nah. I thought I'd throw that nugget in there. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you shall pray and God will give them life. Oh, you know, I'm going to have to explain that. Uh, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. See, we don't pray for everyone. Now, he, there's only one sin that leads to death. God forgives every other sin. What we have is a sin that leads to death is the sin of rejecting Christ. Rejecting Christ is the ultimate sin that will guarantee your place in hell. I hate to say it like that, but you need to hear it. The rejection of Christ, Christ is the sin that leads to death. Now, we also have what we call an unpardonable sin. Now, I taught on this uh, in one of my episodes. Now, there is a sin that cannot be forgiven. And that is uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit that Jesus said when he walked the face of the earth. That you can, Jesus said, you can talk about me. Okay. It doesn't matter if you talk about me, that sin will be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Holy spirit will not be forgiven in this time or the lifetime to come. It'll never be forgiven. You know why? Because the Holy spirit is the final spirit and the final authority of God, which reveals the truth. 
of who Jesus is. If you blaspheme that or reject that, I feel for you. I feel for you. So if you don't understand something, instead of you coming up with another doctrine and trying to impose self-righteousness on God, forcing God to accept you outside of his redemption plan, ah, you got to be careful because the sin that leads to death is the rejection of Christ. And the unpardonable sin, a sin that will never be pardoned, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And you need to know that. You need to understand that. Because if you are not told, how will you know? Okay? Jesus said, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that sin will never be forgiven. Now, we all know if your sins are never forgiven, you can never make it into heaven. <laughs> okay? You can never make it into heaven without the forgiveness of your sins. And Jesus didn't die on the cross and offer an atoning sacrifice for our sins for you to reject the Holy Spirit or for you to reject him. That is the sin that leads to death. Okay. If someone asks you, you can um, refer them to the fifth chap chapter of first John verse 16 through 18. Oh, okay. Where were we? Let me do uh, read verse 16 again. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, meaning any other sin. Look, you don't go to hell because you commit adultery. You don't go to hell because you steal. You don't go to hell because you killed someone. You go to hell for rejecting Christ. That's the sin that leads you to hell. Okay. Now I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. He said, that is who I'm talking to. I am talking to the ones who doesn't commit this sin, the rejection of Christ. I'm talking to the ones who, who committed sins that don't lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. And I just, just explained that to you. I am not saying that you should pray about that. See, you can't pray no one out of purgatory. That's not in scripture on into heaven after they die. If you reject Christ, that's it. Cause there's no other way to be saved. You can't go through a religion. You can't go through a denomination. There's no other way to be saved if you reject Christ. Uh, verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. And I just explained that to you. That it, it doesn't matter what earthly sins you commit. You better make sure you accept Christ. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. But if we confess our sins once we are convicted to one another. And to God, you don't have to confess your sins to someone sitting in a boot next to you that have to confess his. We can hold a conversation about it. You don't even see his face. They're not deity. They're not uh, um, divine. They're just like you. Support one another with these scriptures here, saints. Please do, because a lot of us need it. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. OK, you brush yourself off and let's and, and and let's do it again. Restore such a one, James said. If a brother or sister is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual. Who are walking in the word, who are walking in the fruit of the spirit should restore that one. OK, the one who was born of God keeps them safe, which is the Holy Spirit. And the evil one cannot harm him. The evil one is Satan. Cannot harm you because, you know, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Our fight is with the devil. Now, he may be using people, you know, to carry out his mission. But our fight is with the devil, not people. 
Um, the evil one cannot harm him. Verse 19. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one, meaning the devil. Evil is synonymous with devil. Okay. Now you, we just read that in verse 19. Let me read that again. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. And I told y'all that it is Satan who is ruling this world. God is the creator, but he's not ruling yet. That's why we see all this chaos. Uh -huh. That's why we see all this hate, all this, this murder and, and no one having convictions about it. Verse 20. We know also that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true which is the Holy Spirit. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. The only way the Holy Spirit is going to come and reside, reside in your heart and, and, and be a seal in your heart until the day of redemption is if you are in Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Did you hear Paul? Not Paul, but Paul too. But this is the apostle John, the apostle John, the apostle Paul, and the apostle James and all the, uh, the other apostles, Peter included, all are on the same page. He is the true God and eternal life. Who? The son, Jesus Christ, is the true God and eternal life. We only can receive eternal life through Jesus. Verse 21, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, my sisters and brothers, that was the end of chapter five. Now let's move on to, uh, let's see. Second John, it's just one chapter. And then, um, we are going to read third John and these are letters. They are not epistles. Okay. They are not epistles. Second John was written to a particular congregation overseen by a female. Now there is this age old argument that uh, they are trying to, to decipher the scriptures and dissect the scriptures because man in general don't want a woman to oversee a church. That is not true. Joel or Joel, the prophet says, I, in that day I will pour out my spirit on all men and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You won't find one scripture, especially when the, when the apostles set up the church in the book of Acts, where they said women couldn't pastor a church. When the gifts, when Paul spoke about the gifts being issued, it never said, well, uh, first apostles, then prophets, and, you know, and then pastors and teachers, you know, then evangelists, it never had a sex next to it. You can be a male evangelist. You can be a female evangelist. You can be a male teacher. You can be a female teacher. Now, when, when the apostle Paul, I want to digress a little bit here, cause this is important. When the apostle Paul wrote to Timothy first and second Timothy, and he mentioned about a woman shouldn't teach over a man. Now we going, we are going to eventually get to, to the letter that Paul wrote directly to Timothy. There was an issue going on in the church. Okay. And Paul was addressing a particular issue. And you need to remember, they don't talk like us. And we have people hinging on that scripture. When Paul told Timothy that women shouldn't teach, I don't forbid. He said, I, 
I don't forbid a woman to teach over a man. He said that for a reason, because you have to look at the letters he wrote to the Corinthian church, where he talked about women prophesying in church, men prophesying in church with uh, women prophesying with their head uncovered. But this was a tradition. And then if you keep reading that and stop allowing people to deceive you with a scripture, you will see what Paul says. You know what? Y'all work that out amongst yourselves. He was removing himself from, from, from that because it was foolishness. But he never addressed the woman prophesying in church. So there was a particular incident that occurred in this church that Timothy was was pastoring. And Paul was addressing that more to come when I get to that epistle. No, that wasn't an epistle. I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. It was a letter he wrote to Timothy. OK. I don't just study the Bible. There are other study material out there. Now, if I've been in ministry for over 25 years, you know, I've read a lot and you can't come to me, to me with that foolishness. OK, this is one chapter, second John, and he wrote this to a particular congregation, but he wrote it to a particular female who was an elect. She was the pastor of that church. And John referred to himself as being an elder of of the sister church. And when I tell you all these false teachers who hate the fact that women know more than them, women is teaching the, the truth, women is filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't tell a woman they can't teach or preach in church if God has selected them and chose them and put them there. Man can't stop that. Man needs to get rid of that jealousy. Now, this is John talking. The elder, he's referring to himself, to the lady. Chosen by God. Do you hear me? To the lady. Don't let no one try to dissect this little passage here as some are trying to do. Well, you know, lady means, no, lady means what it means. To the lady chosen by God and to her children. Now, whenever the Bible refers to children like John did, my little children, he's talking about the members of the church, the members of, body of, of the body of Christ. Okay, he's talking about the sisters and brothers in Christ. He's not talking about her biological children, as some false teachers will have you believe. Well, he's talking about her children. No, he's not. No, he's not. Whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth. Verse 2, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. Verse four, it has, it has given me great joy to find some of your children, the people she is pastoring, walking in the truth. The truth is Jesus, just as the father commanded us. Verse five, and now dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one who have had from the beginning. Wait, that didn't sound right to me. I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. Thank you, Lord. I ask that we love one another. Verse six. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. They are not wavering from that. Because God is love. Verse seven. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, and we talked about that already, have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for. What we have worked for, you hear me? But that you may be rewarded fully. 
What reward? Before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 9. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. You can't have God without having Jesus. And you can't change it. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Verse 11, anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked works. Verse 12, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and pen or paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Verse 13, the children of your sister who is chosen by God. The sister is the sister church. Send their greetings. Okay, now we are going into um, the third letter of John that he wrote to a specific individual. And um, this is John uh, 3, the third letter that John wrote. Okay. All righty. Now, John wrote this letter to a specific individual, not just a church. Although he wrote it to a particular individual and he names that individual. Um, we can still share it with the body of Christ. Okay. Verse one of third John. This is also one chapter. To my dear friend Gaius, or either Gaius, it's pronounced Gaius or Gaius, either way, whom I love in the truth. Verse 2, dear friend, I pray that you may, may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Verse 3, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. Verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Verse five, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters working hard for the ministry. OK, uh, even though they are strangers to you. Verse six, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. Verse seven, it was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. Verse 8, we ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. When it said they went um, receiving no help from the pagans, these pagans are pagan worshipers, people who are not considered to be believers, um, and some of them had converted over to Christianity, but they had received no help from the pagans. Verse eight, we ought therefore to show hospitality such to such people so that we may work together for the truth. The truth is we need to help anyone. Okay. Verse nine, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes who loves to be first will not welcome us. Diotrephes who used to be among them, but decided to turn to false teachings and then start, uh, uh, excluding the brothers, the apostles, the true leaders of the Lord Jesus Christ who preached the true, uh, the truth in God, which is his son Jesus, strayed away from that teaching and started teaching his own doctrine. 
verse 10. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is going. I mean, I'm sorry, to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other brothers. Won't even let them visit the congregation he is overseeing, misleading the people. He also stops those who want to do who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Verse 11, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil. What Diotrephes is doing is is considered to be evil. But what is good? Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. D Verse 12, Diotrephes is well spoken of. No, uh, not Diotrephes. I'm sorry. I was going ahead of myself and reading fast. Let me slow down. Verse 12. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. Verse 13. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. Verse 14. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Now, who is Demetrius? Now, verse 14 talks about, hold up, let me see. Uh, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone. Let's see if I can remember who Demetrius is. Uh, he is spoken of in, in John 3 content. Now, verse 14, how about I explain verse 14? Because the Bible really don't talk about who Demetrius is. But what we do know and what Paul is saying is that Demetrius is well spoken of. He walks worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is well spoken of by everyone and even uh, by the truth itself. <laughs> we also speak well of him. He talked well of the apostles and the apostles speak well of him. Um, but Paul says, I hope to see you soon. And he, you know, is not much, not Paul, John. Okay, caught myself, John. John is, doesn't like to write like the Apostle Paul does. You notice the Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, 27%. Paul believed in writing. But John is saying here, these are short personal letters. Uh, Second John and Third John uh, about, you know, hey, look. He'll warn them about false teachers. He tell them to watch out for people. And if you notice, the apostles are on the same page when it comes to false teaching. They want us to stay away from them. Now, we just completed the, even though it almost took two hours, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John all consisted of one thing, stay with Jesus. That is what we can get from this. Stay with Jesus. Walk in love. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stay with Jesus. He is the son of God. Walk in love. Avoid false teachers. Don't even keep company with them. Anyone who is teaching contrary to the doctrine of the apostles, which is Jesus and him crucified. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus came in the flesh. He is the Christ, which means the anointed one. He is the son of God. He put on human flesh and was born of a virgin. His mother name was Mary. Mary, look, let me tell you, let me explain this to you. Those, you Catholics, 
Mary did not die a virgin. The only virgin birth she had was Jesus. Okay, after that, she bore children with her husband, Joseph, the natural way. Okay, so Jesus did put on, on flesh and come down here. He was with the father in the beginning. I want you to remember this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and we beheld his glory and the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. Yes, he did. We saw it. First John says we saw him. We touched him. We walked with him. We talked with him. We, we, look, we saw his miracles. We saw who he was. No one could do what Jesus did. No one has done and never will. Jesus gave the apostles. The, Jesus is the one that sent the Holy Spirit, by the way, pulled out the spirit on everyone, calls us to speak in tongues. Those who are filled. No one can give someone power to heal and to perform miracles but God. But yet Jesus gave the apostles and those today who walk in the Holy Spirit and who are filled with the Holy Spirit to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Uh-huh. To speak in tongues. To connect directly with God. You need to understand who Jesus was. He is not a fictional character and who he is today seated at the right hand of God. Jesus and God are one. You cannot have God without the son. Okay. If you have the son, you have God. You notice the word doesn't say you cannot have um, uh, Jesus without God. No, that's backwards. There's an order. You can only get to God through Jesus. John, the gospel of John, chapter 14, verse six, my favorite scripture. I am the way. This is Jesus talking. The truth and the life. No man comes unto the father except by me. Now, if you want to dis dispute it, dispute it with Jesus. Jesus says, John 14, verse six, I am the way, the truth and the life. And he was responding to Thomas. An apostle who was black and had a wavering faith. You had to always show Thomas something. And I do have a, um, a teaching coming up about who the 12 apostles are. Or who they were. Not are, but who they were. And I give you an insight of, of who each of them are, how they were chosen, and where they were from. Yeah, and Thomas was known as the one who... Who was wavering. You had to always show him something concrete for him to believe it. And remember he was the one after Jesus resurrected. And the other apostles had encountered Jesus. And was explaining to Thomas. And he had doubt. He was known as the doubter. And when Jesus came. He said he wasn't going to believe. Unless he saw the scars in his side. And in his hands. And was able to put his hand there. I'm paraphrasing. And he did. And Jesus said, blessed is the man who believes in having seen because Thomas didn't believe until Jesus showed him the holes in his side where he was pierced with the sword and that precious blood came flowing out. That's when Thomas believed. That's who Thomas was. And so Jesus said, look, when Thomas said, we don't know the way, show us the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I've been with you. And you don't know who I am. I've preached to you. I've taught you. And you still don't know who I am. Thomas. 
lot of Thomases out there. But guess what? Jesus ain't coming down and taking your hand and put it in his side. You have to believe without seeing. And you will be blessed. The blessing is eternal life. Hallelujah. I thank God for saving me. I thank God for saving my sister. I thank God for saving some of my friends, but not all of them are saved. And every chance I get, I will plant a seed. Our job as ministers and leaders in the church is to plant a seed, water that seed, but it is God's responsibility to give the increase. Okay, which means the understanding. But continue to tell the truth. You can't grow on false teaching. You will never grow when receiving false teaching. If someone comes to you with a false doctrine, walk away. You ain't obligated to explain nothing to a false teacher. You're not obligated to do that. And false teachers run for me because I have a word for them. Jesus is Lord. There's no salvation in any other. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. So saints, with that said, I am going on a three-week hiatus. And from my podcasting, okay, because there's a lot of other things I'm involved in that I must do. And I will never stop studying because I'm always reading to feed my spirit. If we don't feed our physical body, what's going to happen? You're going to get sick, dehydrated, and possibly die. But you have to feed your spirit, man, as well. My podcasts have over 77 episodes. Feel free to go there and listen to any episode you choose. When I return... I'm going to teach a, uh, a message regarding prayer. That is my, my most requested, even though I have an episode already in my podcast about prayer. But when I return, I'm going to teach uh, why we need to pray, how we need to pray, and when we need to pray. Okay? <laughs> but until then, continue to physical distance from people. If you are out in public, wear your mask. Okay, that is how we stop the spread. That is how we flatten the curve. Okay, with this coronavirus. Uh, remember, God is protecting you, but we have to be wise. Okay, we can't be foolish. Okay, just because we are a child of God, we can't go out there unprotected and say, hey, look, because remember when the devil was tempting Jesus, he said, well, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written. Okay, that we shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You don't you ask God to turn something into bread or, or he said, jump off of this, uh, these, these, these bricks or either this mountain. I'm paraphrasing. And if you are a child of God, he will save you. No, we don't. Tempt, and Jesus said, we don't tempt the Lord thy God. We don't tempt God. So just because we are children of God and we know he is a healer, we don't go out there unprotected and saying, well, God is going to protect us and cover us anyway. No, he won't because you are outside of his will when you do that. So until then, my brothers and sisters, look, I, I am going to get some um, rest mentally, but I am also um, preparing to to uh, for a big two hour speech that's coming up within the next two weeks. But I will see you guys in three weeks and coming back with even more powerful messages. So until then, peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com 
or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public, and submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now, God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.